0: Fight the lane and jams it down. Taking you behind the scenes and inside the locker room. You're listening to The Raptors Beat. With Josh Lewenberg and Nikki Reyes on TSN 1050. The Raptors live here. Welcome to The
1: Raptors beat nikki and josh here with you for another edition coming up in the next hour really looking forward to this josh tyler Tynes, who is the staff writer at gq magazine he profiled masai ujiri for gq's hype's cover story and he wrote a really wonderful piece not just on spending a day in the life of masai but also on his rise to prominence as the vice chairman and president of basketball operations for the raptors and Of course, one of the most well-respected executives in the NBA. That's coming up around uh, 10-20. And Josh, not a lot of people get close to Masai. So I want to hear what uh, Tyler has to say about him. But first, we've got to talk about these streaking Toronto Raptors who have rattled off four wins in a row. Josh, the last time we did this show, this was a team trying to cobble together uh, any warm bodies that they can throw out on the floor. And here we are now, four wins in a row. Is this Raptors team finally hitting their stride and taking advantage of some undermanned teams, or are you buying in on what we're seeing?
0: Well, they're looking good right now, Nikki. I mean, yeah, th- there's the other side of it where all four wins in, the, in this winning streak have come against teams missing... multiple players, but, I I mean, you could probably argue their best player, right? Like, in the case of the Clippers, to start the winning streak, it was their two best players, Kawhi and and Paul George both out. Julius Randle and a a bunch of guys out for the Knicks. No DeJounte Murray in the first game of the back-to-back. No Giannis in the second game of the back-to-back. But, listen, I I mean, yeah, it's tough to evaluate where this team is at or where any team is at when either you don't have your full roster or the other team doesn't have their full roster but the reality is that's been the case for the Raptors and for most teams in the NBA all season long like the Raptors didn't have their guys now they do the other team doesn't have their guys I just think That's the way this season is is probably going to be. It's a weird year. And at the end of the day, all that's going to matter are the wins and the losses. So you've got to take the wins wherever they come. And credit to the Raptors, they're taking advantage of not only the schedule right now, but I just think the circumstance, right? Like they've been so inconsistent all year. It's not like we haven't seen what they're capable of or we haven't seen those flashes that we're seeing now. We've seen them. We saw them early in the season, but it just seemed like they were having trouble stringing together any kind of consistent stretch, right? Like they would take a step forward, they'd be knocked a couple steps back, whether it's because of injuries or the inexperience. But I think, one, you've got the younger guys starting to come along now. They've gotten more experience. The team is a lot healthier than it's been all year long, and, and hopefully that continues. The vets are playing really well, and yeah, you're playing some teams that that don't have their full roster. So yeah, I mean, I think they're finally starting to build some momentum, and and they need to go on a run here because the schedule doesn't get any easier coming up here.
1: No, it definitely doesn't. And and you're right. Like, we've seen this Raptors squad, or the different iterations of them at least, uh, beat some really good teams and then lose to some, you know, really bad teams in, in, in awful ways. But uh, for the first time this season, we finally saw them or have seen them uh, fully healthy and, and, and put together uh, this vision that, uh, you know, that they had to start the year. The, these long, athletic guys. Um, and for the last couple of games... Nick Nurse has decided on this rotation of Scotty, Fred Benley, Pascal, Gary Trent Jr. and OG to start using his five best players. Uh, never mind all this conversations that we're having about uh, which big man is he going to start and should there be a big man? This is what, who he's going with. How do you feel about this rotation that he's settled on?
0: Well, I like it, and we've talked about it throughout the year, even early on, when it seemed like the Raptors were going to get healthy whenever that, November, November some point, when Pascal Siakam came back before OG went down, the Raptors uh, were using that small lineup for a few games, and yeah, I mean, ideally, you want your five best players on the floor as much as possible, whether it's to start games or, or to close games, or ideally both, Um And I I don't think there's much question that those are your five best players. And just based on the construction of the roster, I think it works in a lot of ways, right? Those five guys can do a lot of different things on both ends of the floor. They can all defend. They can all make plays. and, And they can all shoot. Uh, Mm -hmm. relatively well too right and I think that's a pleasant surprise when there there was one concern early in the year about okay well is is Scotty Barnes going to be able to spread the floor in a lineup with Pascal Siakam who didn't shoot the ball well last year they're all shooting pretty well so I I think the primary concern with that group and we've seen it play out when they've gone small before is are are they going to be able to rebound well enough And they've been holding their own on the boards in large part because Pascal Siakam, or sorry, I should say Pascal Rodman Siakam. um, (laughs) I'm not sure what the etiquette is on giving yourself a nickname. He says other people have been calling him that. I don't know about that. But, hey, if you're grabbing – 45 rebounds in the span of three games, which was the case earlier this week for Pascal Siakam, you call yourself whatever you want. So, yeah, I think the rebounding, and Scotty Barnes has been doing a good job on the boards as well, I think the rebounding has helped them be able to play small. Their their first big test in terms of going up against an elite traditional five comes on Friday, when Rudy Gobert and the Utah Jazz are in town, I mean, Nick Nurse has teased the idea, toyed with the idea of maybe going fluid in in his starting lineup, changing it up depending on the matchups. But we've heard that before. I, I don't think I, I, I don't think it's something he really wants to do. I think ideally, it, it, he'd prefer to find a group, stick with it, find a rotation. Um, and it does seem like he's settling into something now, even in terms of the substitution patterns, right? They've been taking Scotty yeah. Barnes out after a few minutes. Kem Birch comes in, which allows them to continue to stagger Birch and Achua to the point where, even though they're both coming off the bench, they're not playing together at the five. You, you have one or the other, and then you can bring Barnes back in, and, and he's been the backup point guard with the, with the second unit so far instead of Banton or Flynn. I think that's worked out pretty well uh, as well.
1: Yeah, I want to kind of expand on that thought because Scotty has been asked to do different things these last couple of games. You know, he's been the center. He's been the primary ball handler. It's freed up Fred, uh, who's just, you can't miss from three right now. But if you look at Scotty's production, I mean, the numbers-wise, points-wise, it's down. But he's doing so many other things. He's asked to do so many other things. How do you think he's coming along with now being tasked in this kind of new role?
0: Yeah, I I think... It's a different role, both in the sense that they're they're really exploring his versatility and and asking him to do a lot of things on both ends of the floor, but I also think he, of those four guys, and I guess you could even include Gary Trent Jr., of those five guys that are are starting and now playing together, I think the biggest adjustment is probably for Scotty Barnes in terms of what the role was before when he was in some cases, the second or third guy, and where he slots in now, where, like, you've got the big three. I think offensively, anyway, the, there is an expanded workload this year for OG and Anobi. He's being asked to do more. Fred Van Vliet, the ball is primarily in his hands, and even when it's not, they're they're doing a great job right now of playing him off the ball, allowing him to take advantage of his prowess as a, a catch and a shoot catch player and shoot. yeah. <laughs> and Pascal Siakam ha- has been fantastic. I'm sure we'll talk about him more I- mm-hmm. in the next little bit. Um, so Scotty ha- has sort of become the de facto fifth guy off- offensively because Gary Trent I- I is an offensive option there as well. So yeah, I mean, I-, I think for him it's a matter of finding his footing, finding his opportunities in that group And and there's a learning curve to that. I think we're seeing it in in some of these games where it it looks like he's been quieter. But really, and this goes back to a point that Nick Nurse made before the season. I think we were spoiled early in the year because the Raptors were undermanned and because Scottie was being asked to do more and he was doing more that we were expecting to see these big stat lines. But Barnes, I think as a player, is somebody who... Sort of like a Kyle Lowry can do so many things and should be doing so many things that don't really end up on the box score that there are ways of him making an impact even without him putting up whatever it is the 15 points that we were used to seeing from him so i I think he'll be fine I just think it's a matter of settling into this role
1: yeah I think we were used to him taking seventeen 18 shots and Nick Nurse saying he wants him to be aggressive wants him to you know drive the lane and now uh, it's a different role for him and but he is naturally he naturally defers. He naturally likes to pass his teammates and see them, you know, kind of succeed. Um, So it's, it's nice to see that he's able to do different things. Um, But I love how this, it's like a new year. It's a new Raptors team. There's, there's so much potential and there's so much opportunity for all these guys and guys are really starting to come around. You know, we're just talking about Pascal and there's so much conversation about Fred Van Vliet and him making his all-star push and bid, but, Pascal is looking like his former all-star self, Josh. And, and, you know, this is the best he's looked all year, hands down. But probably the best he's looked since he was an all-star.
0: Probably better than that, too, right? Like, I I think this is the best basketball he's ever played. I I mean, he was on, on the show here on the Raptors beat shortly after coming back from shoulder surgery and he told us he doesn't just want to get back to pre-injury form he wants to get back to pre-pandemic form all-star all nba and yeah i mean i i think he's even surpassed that level that we saw from him a couple years ago now to the point where he's doing everything at a high level really consistently like i mentioned the rebounding earlier he's moving the ball and initiating the offense passing out of double teams better than we've ever seen. He's scoring, he's getting to the free throw line, he's defending at a really high level. And I think consistency is the key there too, right? It's been a long time since we've seen him play a bad game. So yeah, I mean, you talked about All-Star. He, he's not getting a lot of buzz. In, in some ways I get it, in some ways I don't, because he is playing at an All-Star level. But he, he's missed 13 games, which in a regular season would probably be, I mean, that, that would probably rule him out right there right like mm-hmm. just too many missed games this season everybody is missed games so I- I'm not sure that he shouldn't be getting more buzz I just think that I mean, the the Raptors is a 500 team, which is more or less what we expected them to be. They're not going to get more than one all-star. They might not even get one. Like, one one is going to be a challenge, and we should talk about that. I I just think Pascal and OG, they've both looked like all-stars at stretches this season. OG before his hip injury. Pascal since coming back from the shoulder surgery. But Fred has been the constant. He's the guy that that I think is most deserving on this team of being an all-star. He is deserving, but the reality is there are deserving guys every year that don't make it. There are a lot of really good players in the NBA. There are only 24 All-Star slots, 12 per conference. Um, so it's going to be a challenge. There are a lot of good guards in the Eastern Conference, uh, established veterans, rising stars, young players. Um, so it, it's going to be tough. I, I think he's done... Just about everything he can do, especially over the last few weeks. I mean, this has been a timely push from him with fan voting ramping up. Really, but (laughs) the Raptors are going to need to help him out, right? Like that's a a point that Nick Nurse made the other day. It's a good point. It's valid. Winning isn't everything in this process. It's not necessarily a prerequisite. There are a few guys every year coming from losing teams. But especially for a first-time All-Star, especially for a guy like Fred that doesn't, he's not a lottery pick, he's not a, a top-five pick, he doesn't have that same pedigree that like another potential first-time All-Star, Lam- 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 Lamella Ball, might have in, in this process. So if he's playing for and representing a winning team, I-, I think that could make a huge difference, both in fan voting and then especially if it comes to it with, with the coaches' vote for the reserves
1: yeah obviously you know being on a winning team helps because your team's talked a lot about your team is you know noticed and and put on the the different uh networks like espn and do you think playing i don't want to say playing in toronto kind of puts him behind the eight ball but not being in that national conversation does that hurt uh his chances at all you think
0: well it's interesting because I, I think that's the assumption that most people have right now that They he's hate not Toronto. Get Everybody in. hates
1: Toronto. The league's against us. That's the assumption,
0: right? Well, I, I think people think that okay, well, he, he's not going to do well in the fan voting here. He's gonna have to get in through the coaches. And yeah, I mean, I, I think that's probably the safe bet, but to be honest with you, I, I'm not quite sure what to expect when yeah. the first voting returns come out. Later today, Thursday afternoon, uh, you might be listening to the podcast, and those voting returns will, will already be out there. As of now, I'm not quite sure. I, like I said, I think a lot of people are looking at it, and they're like, okay, Juan he plays for the Raptors, so he's not necessarily a household name around the league, and then he finished 10th in fan voting last year. But I will say this, and I will remind people that the Raptors had an all-star starter In six consecutive All-Star games, between 2015 and 2020, you look at it and it's like, okay, Kawhi Leonard in 2019, sure, but I'm not sure that people expected Pascal Siakam to start in 2020, and he did. DeRozan started a couple games, Lowry started a couple games, so don't underestimate the power of the canadian fan base potentially getting him in even if they don't i I mean i think coaches uh, of all people should in the same way that we always used to say that about kyle lowry coaches should appreciate what he brings to the table as much or more than anybody let's go through it though because i do want to break down his chances as realistic or unrealistic as they are i mentioned the guards in the eastern conference i think it depends on a few things one DeMar DeRozan, Jimmy Butler, Jalen Brown, at least two of those guys are making the all-star team, maybe three of them. All three of them have played the majority of their minutes this year at the forward position. So one, I, I think it's going to come down to whether or not they're considered guards or forwards in this mix. That will ultimately determine what Van Vliet's chances are. Um And then obviously the wild card spots that the coaches vote in. Are they guards? Are they forwards? Basically, we're looking at probably five or six slots for guards. Um, We can break them down into categories, or at least I have anyway, Harden, Zach Levine are probably locks. They're having great years for great teams. Um, Then you've got a couple of guys in Trey young and and Bradley Beal, who both have the track record and the reputation. And maybe if it's close, they get the benefit of the doubt. But I don't think their cases are as strong as the two I just mentioned. Trey Young having a great year, but for an underachieving Hawks team. Beal having a down year, but for an overachieving Wizards team. Um, y- you've got a couple veteran point guards who are making winning contributions to really good teams. Kyle Lowry and Drew Holiday, who we saw last night. And then the potential first-timers, Darius Garland. Lamella Ball, who I mentioned, as well as Van Vleet, who are playing for those middle tiered Eastern Conference teams. So that's already nine guys that I mentioned. Obviously, we're not including Kyrie and Ben Simmons. Hopefully the fans don't either. Um But you're you're probably only getting like five of those guys in. So Van Vleet, I think he's gotta beat out he's gotta beat out the first timers. And it's going to be tough because Garland's going to get a lot of love, especially with the game in Cleveland. I think it's going to come down to, as I said, can the Raptors surpass the Cavs in the standings? Can the Raptors surpass Washington in the standings? Because I do think with with Beal not playing as well as Bradley Beal usually plays, maybe there's an opportunity there to to leapfrog him in a potential coach's vote. But yeah, I, I think in order to get in... The Raptors are going to need to make a push here, and Van Vliet is probably going to have to surpass Garland, Ball, and maybe Beal, as well as maybe one or both of Holiday and Lowry. It, it's going to be tough.
1: It is going to be tough. I mean, Fred is putting up career highs across the board, uh, really going to rely on the fan voting. And you're right, like the coaches who know the intangibles and all the little idiosyncrasies that he brings to this team that that now find themselves a game above 500 despite all the challenges that they've had to go through uh to start this year and speaking of the standings it's crazy to see the Raptors are like what now seventh in the Eastern Conference they just keep uh climbing that but uh Josh we got to keep it moving because I want to I don't want to keep our guests waiting uh Tyler uh, t- uh Tyler Tynes is going to join us uh, uh just after ten twenty, um but i gotta get to the kalos where we give it a, a point every week for the top performer on the toronto raptors uh three points two points and one point uh who is going to get three points from you this week josh
0: this is an interesting week i think the three point and the two point is probably pretty straightforward it's just a question of who's gonna get which one yeah 3A, for both 3B. of us? Yeah. <laughs> yes. It, it, bar, barring something shocking, I think we have a pretty good idea of who those two guys are going to be. And, and then I, I also think there's going to be a question as to who gets that one point. So for the three points, I, I'm going to give it to Pascal Siakam. I, I oh, mean, okay. I, yeah, I mean, okay. it was close between he and Fred, and I'll uh, maybe I'll do my first two. Fred gets two points. Pascal gets three points for me. The difference for me, Fred, uh, a bit of a quiet night against... Um, bit of a quiet night against Milwaukee by his recent standards anyway, even though he was still (laughs) impacted. Only 19 (laughs) points. Uh, Pascal was so good in all four games this week. I mentioned the rebounding in the first three games, the scoring last night against Milwaukee. He's playing at a really high level right now, Nikki, and it's good to see.
1: Yeah, Uh, I'm going to flip it. I'm going to give it to Freddie. But I, I hear your argument for Pascal as well. I mean, it, it, they're both so so neck and neck, and how they're playing together, by the way, as well, is such a beautiful thing to see. Like they're just such in a rhythm. Um, but I'm going to give my three to Van Vliet and then Pascal, and my one point I'm going to give to Scotty because of all the things that we were talking about earlier, being asked to play, you know, different role, kind of right these last couple games, and and do different things, and showing some versatility and still being in- involved and. I was talking about it last night in, in the post-game show with Jim Taddy, but correct me if I'm wrong, Josh. Does Scotty look bigger to you, like he's filling out?
0: He's growing by the day.
1: Seriously, right? Okay, I wasn't just imagining because I'm watching last night. I'm like, wait a minute. Who's this man, baby, child? Like He looks like he's gotten a lot bigger uh, than when we started the season, but I digress. Um, who's your one point?
0: And at one point, they called a, a charge on him just based solely on strength and overpowering a guy. Yes. Um.
1: Like he doesn't know what to do with his strength, like with his body, because he's (laughs) just like, I didn't do anything. Yeah.
0: We've seen that from OG over the years, too. It's a good problem to have. My one point is going to go to Justin Champagny, who has gotten an opportunity here with Svi in Utah in the protocols. And, man, he's taken advantage of these minutes. Uh, I said this the other day. It's becoming more of a trend than a coincidence. When he's on the floor, good things happen uh and i i think he's turned some heads here he's definitely earning some trust from his teammates and from Nick Nurse and uh maybe there's a role for for him even when Svi and Utah come back
1: yeah, he's he's got good vibes written across you know his forehead. Whenever he comes into the game, it's pure energy, a uh, pure lift, and he just has such a good disposition too, right? He knows his role. He's not trying to go out there and do too much and 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 take over the game. Um, but he's definitely a nice compliment and a nice uh, complimentary addition.
0: We're going to take a quick break, but coming up on the other side, we're going to chat with Tyler Tynes, staff writer at GQ, who penned an excellent profile on Masai Ujiri this week. That's next here on the Raptors Beat.
1: It's Connor. You are spying on me!
0: The Raptors Beat goes inside the locker room, bringing you the latest from your Toronto Raptors. On TSN 1050, the Raptors live here. Josh and Nikki back with you on the Raptors beat and Nikki, one of the highlights of the week came on Sunday afternoon Raptors playing the Knicks. And it was the first game that I've ever covered in a, <laughs> a virtually empty arena. I, I wasn't in the bubble or yeah. in Tampa. Uh, it, it was strange. It was weird. I, I, didn't like the piped-in crowd noise. I did like the fact that we could hear a lot of the talk on the court from the players, but perhaps the strangest part of the afternoon is when Masayu Jiri comes into what would have been the crowd and, and sits down in the middle of the 100 level, watches the game by himself. Um, it, it was unusual because we don't usually see him during the games. I mean, he usually watches from the video room. Occasionally he... Uh, pokes his head into the the tunnel but we tunnel, don't see him yeah. during games and and i mean we we rarely see him these days at all right he's become an uh, elusive uh person in in this city uh certainly revered but elusive in the sense that mm-hmm. his appearances are are few and far between right but our our guest got to spend a full day with him, and I stress the word full. It was a full day. Tyler Tynes is a staff writer at GQ, and he wrote an excellent feature on Masayu Jiri, 5 a.m. in Toronto with Masayu Jiri. Tyler, welcome to the show. How you doing?
2: Oh, I'm blessed, man. You said 5 a.m. in Toronto. I bet you're on a Drake song. I like that.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, it, it was a great feature, excellent work on it. And I, I, I'm going to start where you did there in in the piece, uh, a great story to lead things off. And, I, I mean, as fun as it sounded, reading it back, I'm not sure how fun it would have been at the time, getting picked up at, at 5 a.m. and meet, meeting Masayu wow. um at OVO. Uh, Ray Chow, who is uh, one of my all-time favorite humans, is putting him through uh, a workout. Longtime Raptors trainer, uh, t- take us through that morning. What was it like? And you told us Masai Jury doesn't even drink coffee. So how was he able to get through that? And what 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 did that workout look like?
2: Man, I couldn't even tell you, man. You know, by the time I got there, he already working out. You know, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's early, and I, I I don't embellish when I say this. It was five a.m. You know, there's no sunlight out there. The only thing you see is the glowing neon aisle of the OVO. You know, you get through there, you know, his assistant and a few other people kind of take me in there and he's there with Ray Chow running laps, doing kickboxing on a side dummy. Um, you know, picking up, um, you know, Home Depot buckets as if this is like a Bane infomercial. It was, it was very, very odd. I didn't <laughs> expect the side to be working out. You know, I was told that's what he does. And, you know, they made it clear that's what he does every morning, but to see, you know, an actual, like, grown human being, much more, much older than I am, right? Be out there and really be getting to it. Like, you're not a professional athlete anymore. You, 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 a front office man. You out here getting to it like that? It's a little bit astonishing.
1: <laughs> see, Most Tyler, that's are why
0: fast asleep at sleep, fast asleep at five a.m. and Masai Ujiri is hard at work. Did I see this on Twitter correctly too? Did Did they put you to work?
2: Hey, man, don't don't
0: don't, don't be looking at my Twitter, man. Yeah, they put me to work. You know, I was
2: sitting there observing. <laughs> You know, I was, I was sipping on some green tea, you know, minding my, my business. And Ray Child walks over, he asked me, do I want to get into it? No, I don't want to get into it, right? What you mean? So I pick up the Home Depot buckets. You know, I'm a, I'm a good Samaritan. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a friend in this country. I ain't never been here like that. So, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I'm told. I pick up the buckets, and they feel a little sturdy. And so I look inside, and it's dumbbells in there, and is kickboxing. I'm, he's laughing at me at the discovery. And so I did the workout. You know, I, I pulled the, the Home Depot buckets around the two, three courts, at OBO, the perimeter of those courts. You know what I'm saying? Like, I did those omega shoulder presses that, that curl up your entire body. <laughs> you know, there were two heavy-weighted baseball bats that I choked up on and held them upright, you know, a, a little bit under my chin and also walked around the perimeter. It, it's a tough thing. It's a tough thing, and I wasn't even doing everything he was doing.
1: But this is why you're a professional, uh, Tyler, and I would never be able to do what you did because I would have been like, what time? No, I'm out. Um, Even after it's been how many years now since DeMar and Dwayne Casey were kind of run out of town here, and we all know how that ended, and and it worked out, obviously. Masai, um, in the long run, made the right decision uh, because Toronto won a championship. But when he was talking about that with you, I get the sense that there was obviously still some emotion in that. And it was it's still, to this day, it was a hard decision for him uh, to make. Kind of talk us through what he, he was feeling and, and how his mood was, talking about that, you know, one of the toughest decisions he's had to make as an executive.
2: Yeah, I, I'm sure he was certainly somber, but it, it certainly goes into this ideology of Masai. You know, this, this spirit of influence that David Thorpe called it, where These are people to him. You know what I mean? These aren't assets. These aren't, you know, tools and pieces on a chessboard. Like, he seems to really be fond of DeMar DeRozan. He seems to be very fond of Dwayne Casey. And the people, you know, when you think about the kind of guy he is, he's very intentional with how he is setting up this kingdom he's kind of built up north. From his assistant to, you know, who might might do custodial work there at OVO. Everybody feels as if they are handpicked by Masai. His drivers that have been with him for years – videographers for Giants of Africa, every single person, he knows them, he knows their background, he knows where they come from, he knows about them, it's intentional. And so to lose someone like that and to have to make a decision that wasn't based in, as he would say, it's humanity, um, things like that eat him up. You know, things like that make him, you know, he was somber when he was retelling his story. It didn't seem like he was fully past the fact that he did that to a place he really respects and a fan base he really loves and people who adore both of those men. But if you're going to do something like that, if you're going to make one of the biggest gambles in recent sports history, it has to yield a result. Even when he was executive of the year in Toronto, in Denver in 2013, it didn't yield a result. It has to yield a result for him. And it did. That's the only way it seems like he might be able to sleep at night is that they won that championship.
0: Joined by Tyler Tyne, staff writer at GQ. And Tyler, you make a great point there where – as great as Masai is as an executive, as great of a deal maker as he is, as great as he is at scouting and finding, developing talent, his greatest skill is a people skill, right? His ability to connect with people and and really all different kinds of people, regardless of their background or occupation. And one of the things that you mentioned a few times in in the story is you're walking around with Maasai, you're bumping into people, whether it's a construction worker in the elevator or fans on the street. Were you surprised by their reaction to Maasai? Hell yeah. Was well, you not surprised? I mean, you,
2: you don't go around the team, <laughs> bro. You know, this, this is not what happens. It is one thing if you are Kyle Lowry. It is another thing if you are Pascal. It is one thing if you are on this team, an NBA player, professional, people who follow you and, and, and treat your skills as if they are religious right? This is just a front office man. This is just the guy who runs the organization. And you trying to tell me that he is as famous as his players. No, we don't do that. You know what I'm saying? Like in Philadelphia where I'm from, you know, Daryl Morey is certainly beloved, but I'm not seeing grown men bow to their knees because Daryl Morey is walking by the same street they're on. Y'all got something different in the water in Toronto.
1: It's Masai. It's he's what's different. Um, I don't think you can or, or I don't think anyone should tell Masai's story um, with, without detailing and outlining all, all the all the challenges that he's had to go through to get to this position as a person of color. Um, there's been roadblocks. Black. There's been some hardships. And, and you thread that beautifully uh, throughout your, your feature here. Um, and you outline uh, the moment where he won the championship and has this, this, this wonderful moment with his wife. Uh, they're celebrating. And then it just flips on its head with with what happened that well documented altercation with the officer um and, and in your article you know masai says when i look back at it i see a lost moment but some people have lost their lives and then you write there's a silence as those last words sit in the air what was that moment like for you to share with him and and my second part to the question here tyler is in your opinion did that altercation that moment kind of really put Masai on this path, to be on the forefront of finding solutions, of speaking out to ensure that this doesn't happen again, that there's there's change when it comes uh, to, to Black Lives Matter. Do you think that really kind of started the wheels in motion, or has this always just been who he is and it was just kind of sleeping in him?
2: Uh, We're we going to tackle the first one first. I, I think for somebody, you know, y'all might not know too much about me, but before I started the GQ, I was somebody who was going to several protests and covering them. Um, and so, you know, it's nothing crazy to me to hear a black person say, you know, something like this happened to them and, and to live, you know, in a world like this, it is not uncommon for this to happen to black people anywhere and specifically sure. to happen to him because he is black. Um, it, it, it's tough. It's always gonna be a tough reality of where you go and how you exist in this world and the confines of this world as a black person, because and well, it's not my job to tell you how this gonna get down. This is just the reality of the situation. This is you know, inherently in all of the systems that we call home and all the countries and places that we call home, that nobody is excused from the ills and desires and and the sins of what racism is in the world. And so from the beginning, that was something that could have happened to him, and it did happen to him at the apex of his career. That can startle and that can change anybody's lives. On the back end of that, Messiah has been working with Giants of Africa and so many different philanthropic organizations Things for a lot of his life i mean you know colangelo was the first person who gave him fifty thousand dollars to start giants of africa to really fund giants of africa and so i wouldn't say that because some police officer harassed him that this woke some sleeping giant in his body to you know care deeply about things that are happening to black people he's black so he's always cared about this to a certain point But he's had no reason to run away from it he has no choice
0: tyler i I mean you've covered a lot of different things a lot of different players a lot of different athletes and, and people in sport where where did this assignment rank for you just in terms of uh the the power of it the the and just in general like how cool was it to come down here and, and up here and, and and experience a day with Jiri?
2: Well, I mean, he's a man just like anybody else. But, you know, luckily he was somebody different than some of the people I've met in my life. You know, I don't really rank my assignments like that. I mean, I've I've been all over the country and seen some of the horrors of the world in recent times. And I wouldn't say, you know, this can go over something else because that's not really how I work. But Toronto was beautiful. I had never been. I'd always wanted to go. I understand some of these Drake songs a little bit more. And, you know, that's all I really needed is that I saw somewhere new. I met somebody new, and I had a nice time. I saw, I saw a good Raptors game. And, you know, we parked behind Drake to get into the arena. I don't got too much to complain about, Josh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Except for waking up at, like, 4 in the morning to, to meet Messiah. No, nah,
2: man, when, you, when, you, when you're dedicated to the game, 5 a.m. ain't really nothing special. I get up at 5 a.m. and start working every day, so that ain't really nothing different to me.
0: Wow. Well There you go. 5 a.m. in Toronto with Masai Ujiri. Check it out on GQ. Great read. Give him a follow on Twitter at Tyler Ricky Tynes. Uh, Tyler, thanks so much for doing this with us today and hope to chat with you soon. Of course, man. Call me anytime. Tyler. Thanks, y'all. I appreciate you. There he is, Tyler Tynes, staff writer at GQ. And, Mickey. Uh, I mean, uh, like I said, we, we've... We know Masai, but to, to spend that kind of time with him and, and get a, a glimpse at what, what he's like behind closed doors, it's something that very few people get to do. It, it's mm-hmm. a cool behind-the-scenes look at somebody who, as Tyler details, means a, a whole lot to this city, this country, and this fan base.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting to hear his perspective because – maybe we're a little too close to the situation. Not, not. I don't mean just us because, you know, we work around the organization, but because we know and we felt what Masai has done and built here. It's interesting to hear Tyler's uh, perspective. It's like, yeah, he's, he's just a man. It's it's interesting how he's revered as this, like, you know, deity in, in Toronto, but he's just another dude. Um, I, I found that fascinating because here, you know, Masai, like, basically walks on water, right? Am I right? So... Um, but at the end of the day, you're right. He's right. He's just—he's just a man doing his job and, and doing what's best for the organization, and for the causes in the the, the, the world around him that he believes in.
0: Well, he—he's built a team that's playing really well right now. The Raptors look to yeah. keep their winning streak going, but a challenging week for them with some really good Western Conference teams in town. So we'll look ahead to that. On the other side, this is the Raptors beat.
2: I really just, uh
0: feeling good just bet on yourself why wouldn't you just bet on yourself you're you just bet on yourself time to bet on yourself don't be afraid to bet on yourself on tsn 1050 the raptors live here i got my money on me i, do. I bet on myself i can't crunch time on the raptors beat i got my money on me our prediction segment here bet on yourself fred van vliet has been doing it and it's been working. So let's see how we fare, Nikki. It, it was a pretty good week last week. I, I don't know that we made official predictions other than I did think this was the week the Raptors got back to 500. I thought it would be a three game winning streak though. I had the loss in Milwaukee on Wednesday I didn't know that Giannis was going to sit out maybe things play out differently if he Mm -hmm. plays but I'm pretty sure the Raptors are are happy with the current timeline and not some alternate universe where Giannis (laughs) plays a couple games against the Raptors over the last couple months
1: There's two more games that they're going to play against Milwaukee. So we'll see how, you know, if he suits up for those uh, two. But yeah, it was a busy week for the Raptors and they won all four. And now uh, it doesn't get uh, exactly any easier. It's the Jazz, the Pelicans, and the Suns. The Jazz come uh, to town on Friday. How do you see this one playing out?
0: Yeah, we we talked about earlier. I think it'll be a a good test for the Raptors for a a bunch of reasons. I know that uh, COVID has, has just started to hit. The Jazz a little bit, but for the most part, they've been one of the more unscathed teams all year. So this is a relatively healthy team. We talked about the Raptors going up against undermanned teams. They're going to see a really good and mostly healthy team against the Jazz as well as a team that features... An elite traditional five man in Rudy Gobert. So it's going to be a test for that smaller group that they like to start. First of all, to see if Nick Nurse sticks with it. And if he does, can they hold their own against Gobert? That's one of those matchups where like maybe, maybe it's Scotty, maybe it's Pascal, but it's more yeah. of a, a team thing than anything else. They're going to have to send help. And that's tough with a Utah Jazz team that's so well balanced. So many great shooters and, and, and talent at every position all over the floor and they're maybe quietly i would say having a, another really good season their 9 plus 9.8 point differential leads the league um they've won 8 of their last 9 games they of course beat the raptors earlier in the season the november 18th meeting Uh, Gary Trent went off for 31 points, but that was Pascal Siakam's worst game of the season, one of the worst games of his career, four points on two for 14 shooting. Of course, he bounced back the next night against Portland, but it'll be interesting to see if he can keep things going, being that he's been playing so well recently. I'm going to say this is a loss for the Raptors, but, oh man, I'm hoping I'm wrong here. (laughs) Wouldn't that be fun for the Raptors to build off of the momentum that they've uh, collected here over the last week or so, and and continued this winning streak with what would be, I, I think, for a lot of people, their biggest statement win uh, of the year against a really good Utah Jazz team.
1: Yeah, most definitely. But the Utah Jazz always kind of quietly go under the radar and, and you know compile a really excellent season, and they're they're doing again. I'm really keeping an eye though on what's happening with their health and safety protocols because Joe Ingles entered, as you said. Uh, they're the last team to, to put a, a a player in protocols. And he went in on Tuesday and, and we've seen how this kind of plays out for other teams. Knock on wood. Yeah. You don't want anyone to have to go and help and pro- protocols. And of course the Raptors want to play the, the, the best players that the jazz have to offer. But the reality is we've seen how this plays out. Somebody goes in a day later, somebody else goes in a day later, someone else goes in. So by the time Friday rolls around, um, It'll be interesting to see who is available for the Jazz. But with that being said, you're right. They're going to put up a, a great fight. I expect Pascal to, to have a bounce-back game because that was an awful game that he played against the Jazz earlier this year. Uh, that's when, like, the, the trade Pascal, uh, you know, chance started up again. Um, but I'm going to go with the Raptors taking this one. I, I'm feeling really confident in how Freddie's playing, how Pascal's playing, how that whole starting unit is playing together. Um and I'm just, uh, I'm just gonna keep riding this wave, and I see win number five in a row for the Raptors on Friday. There, I said it.
0: Well, I, I'm gonna hold you to it. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, like I said, I, I, I hope, if nothing else, that it's a competitive game, and I think that it will be, if nothing else, is based on how the Raptors are playing recently. I can see them going toe to toe right now with anybody, given their. Uh, the, the fact that they're close to full strength, the, the fact that they're playing as as well and as confidently as they are. Um, I've got I, Sunday I, circled on my calendar. Sorry, go ahead, Nikki. Yeah,
1: No, no, sorry. I was just going to add one more thing that, yeah, we – I selfishly, I want to see the Raptors play uh, a team that is fully healthy uh, for the first time, you know, with this kind of new look at starting unit. So that's really what I'm looking forward to seeing is how this Raptors squad stacks up against a really good uh, a jazz team. And, and, and you said it looking at Sunday and another really good team against Phoenix.
0: Uh, well, Phoenix is coming up on Tuesday. The Sunday Tuesday, game, I mean, we're def- me. definitely not going to see a fully healthy team on Sunday with the New Orleans Pelicans coming to town. Uh, no Zion Williamson. He's yet to make his season debut and it doesn't seem like there's a timeline for his return. They're a young yeah. team. They, they've played a little bit better recently here over the last few weeks, but it's been return week. Uh, for former Raptors with Sergi Baca coming back to town last week. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas coming back to Toronto. I mean, th- this is crazy to me and just blows my mind, I guess speaks to how bizarre these last few years have been. But JV has not played in Toronto since December 9th, 2018, more than three years ago. Jeez. That was before he uh, suffered that thumb injury. In his last season with the Raptors, he missed a few months and then was just about to return on the road before getting traded for Marcus All. And we all know how that went. But even since then, between uh, the trade to Memphis and, and the Grizzlies had already played in Toronto that year, the championship year, then the pandemic hits. The Raptors are in Tampa, so JV doesn't get to return mm-hmm. then. He gets traded to New Orleans, which... Bumps his return back even further. So he's been waiting a a long time for this. Like with Serge, it it sucks that there aren't going to be fans in that arena to give him the ovation that he deserves. But in the same way as we look back at Serge's tenure with the Raptors, I want to do it a, a little bit here with JV, just in the sense that it was so cool to to watch. I mean, literally from a guy that could barely speak the language coming here from Lithuania as a rookie, learning not only the game at the NBA level, but learning the culture and and growing, building uh, a family here. And just like in terms of a human being, like one one of the top five dudes I've ever covered, Uh, a great guy, uh, personable, genuine, humble, would would never leave the locker room without like addressing every single person, shaking people's hands when he got there, when he was leaving, saying goodbye, little things like that yeah. and just a great sense of humor as witty as they come. Some of it was rated R, I'll I'll tell you, but um <laughs> ju- just Whoa. a great guy to be around and have in the uh and have in the locker room. So really looking forward to having him back and, and seeing him on Sunday and I'm going to say It'll be a win for the Raptors in JV's return.
1: Okay, um, I'm gonna go with a win as well for the Raptors. Uh, maybe you can tweet out some of those R-rated jokes and stories that JV was uh, talking about. <laughs> no this chance. is okay. Okay, fine. I got it. I, I respect your <laughs> your professionalism. Okay, um, we got to wrap this up real quickly. Uh, Raptors on are playing the Suns on Tuesday and another former uh, big man, <laughs> Bismack Biombo, signed a 10 day uh, with the Phoenix Suns recently because of COVID protocols. Um, he's been, he's been shining for the team and there's like the, there's conversation of whether or not they should actually uh, sign him to a, a longer term contract. But how do you see this uh, in for the Toronto Raptors? The Suns are 29 and eight on, on the season. They're just, just so high powered. They were just such a good team.
0: Yeah, I mean, they, they're they just, it's like cruise control right now. They're playing really well. I, I'm going to say it's a Suns win.
1: Yeah, I'm going with Suns win and just leave it there, too.
0: <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, like th- this is going to be a, a long road trip coming up after next week as well, five-game road trip. So th- this will be a good test for the Raptors. We've been talking about it, waiting for them to face some good, healthy teams. Well, here yeah. it is. So uh, a good measuring stick week for the Raptors, and we'll be back to – Chat about it and a lot more next week on the Raptors beat. Thanks for listening.